Hi, thanks for uh, joining us at Northsite for our, the teaching for the week of September 7th. Uh, we are starting a new series, and I'm really excited. Uh, from now until Christmas, we are going to be walking through the book of Ephesians. The subtitle for this series uh, I'm taking from Bruce at our Atrus site. I'm calling it Ephesians, the Gospel, Church, and Race. Uh, what we're going to see as we begin to study this book is that we're going to see that Paul has a lot to say to you and I about each one of these things. And so my prayer is that we will both understand and respond to God's word as it speaks to us about these three themes. Now you might ask, why race? Why specifically are you picking out that theme? Aren't there other ones? Doesn't Ephesians talk about lots of things? Why would you choose race as one of these three things? Well, my answer to that is threefold. So the first is just that as a predominantly white North American congregation, uh, we need to talk about the issue of race, racism, the systematic problems uh, that are being brought to the forefront in this cultural moment. To, to be silent about race and racism in this moment would be to be complicit in the evil of white supremacy. And, and so it is important for those of us who follow Jesus to speak clearly against racism and white supremacy, particularly because so too often the church has actually used Jesus and scripture as ways of supporting white supremacy. And so as a church, that desire to be faithful uh, to the way of the crucified King Jesus, we, we must be clear in our word and our actions about this issue. The second reason is that in this moment, it seems as though everyone else is talking about race. Uh, it's on the forefront of our news cycle, in our homes, on social media. As Christians, our task is to be able to speak the good news of King Jesus into each circumstance of the world. And so the question then we want to ask is, does the good news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension have anything to say about how we order ourselves in the world around the area of race and racism? And the third reason uh, for making race a predominant part of our study in Ephesians is actually the response to the second question. The answer is 100% yes. The good news of Jesus has a lot to say about race and racism. It has to do with the church. It has to do with God's plan of the gospel. And so all of these things are deeply interconnected. A major theme of Ephesians has to do with ethnicity, how the church is supposed to respond to the gospel. And so that as a church, uh, the church, as we will learn, is the body of Christ on earth. And our witness of the gospel is revealed in the new way in which the church reorders society and lives together. So I have two goals for this series. The first is that your imagination will be captured by the mystery, beauty, and total lordship of Jesus. And in response to King Jesus, you will be radically transformed in the way that you think, act, and respond to the events of the world around us. So really just tiny little goals. Uh, Holy Spirit, let it be, we pray. Uh, as we begin, we, we could say a lot about Ephesus and Paul's relationship with it. We, we know from the book of Acts that Paul spent two years in Ephesus teaching there. They had a really effective ministry among the people. We know that Paul is writing this letter in a philosophical style popular in Asia Minor, which probably accounts for why it sounds different than all his other letters. Uh, we also know that... Uh, Ephesus is one of the largest Roman cities in Asia Minor. It was located in modern-day Turkey. Uh, we know that the location at the beginning of the letter, in, in, uh, in verse 1, 
We know that the location of Ephesus was added later in some manuscripts, which means that the opening of this letter was probably left blank. And and it was a letter to the many churches in Asia Minor, and each church would fill in the location for themselves. And so uh, this letter comes to the people in Ephesus, and they just fill in their name. And so we have some manuscripts that with no uh, specific address and others that are to Ephesus. There's a lot uh, more we could say about that, but I'm just going to leave it for you to grab a commentary, do some reading, uh, and, and read along with us in, in the book of Ephesians as we're going. So if you want to know more about authorship, who wrote it, background setting, that's uh, you can start the study there. Instead, we want to start here in just the first couple verses of Ephesians chapter 1. It says, From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the holy and faithful people in Christ Jesus in Ephesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's happening right away is just awesome, right? We're in the beginning of this passage and there's a curious mystery, a curious thing that's happening in the text. So usually in a first century letter, you'd begin with the word Cairo, C-H-A-I-R-O, which, and I quote, is an infinitive of the verb to rejoice, which means greetings. So what we see is an example of this uh, is in Acts 23, verse 26, where it says, to the most honorable governor Felix, greetings, Cairo. But, But that's not the word that Paul is using here in Ephesians. Instead, Paul uses the word charis, which means grace. Now, the two words sound very similar, Cairo, charis, then but then to this charis, he adds another Greek word, irian, which means peace, which echoes this traditional Hebrew greeting of shalom. So we translate it here in English, grace and peace, combining Greek and Hebrew elements to make something new. So Paul takes what's a culturally common greeting and he tweaks it to carry a new message. So instead of ending your letter, you know, we might say yours truly, right? As we sign off a letter. Instead, what he did, would do is instead of saying yours truly, we might say yours in Christ. Uh, it's, it's almost a jarring uh, play on words when you expect one thing because it's so common. And, and then all of a sudden you get this new idea, this new concept, grace and peace, which I mean, those of you who get emails, I often sign my emails. This is a core for what I want people to be experiencing, the grace and peace of Jesus. That's how I... I want to be part of God's work of bringing grace and peace to people, but but it can become so worn out, so used that it loses its punch. Uh, Paul is not just using a formality here at the beginning of his letter. He's actually subverting, changing, twisting, uh, adding a new piece to this greeting. He's jarring people's senses away from the norm to something new. And so we can see how it's this normal Greek greeting, and Paul's intentionally making something new. Grace and peace. Uh, We will see in the next chapters that this is a huge theme of the book. And so we need to explore particularly this theme of peace, or in Hebrew, shalom, that Paul is referencing here. So shalom, the word, this Hebrew word for peace, is sometimes translated peace, right? But to to say that shalom is peace is like describing a taco and saying that it's good. No, like a taco is not just good. Uh, A taco is the greatest invention by any chef ever. It it is the pinnacle of what the human mind is able to achieve when it comes to food. It's the corn tortilla, the pastor, the salsa, the cilantro, combining in your mouth to make your mouth sing in thanksgiving. To eat a taco is to be transported into new and glorious places, right? Shalom does not mean peace. 
The word shalom actually encapsulates God's basic intention, God's vision for humankind. Shalom means that all is right in every aspect of life. So when God creates the world, in Genesis 1-2, to we see that God's intention for people. We see that there is an intimate relationship between God, people, and creation. Lisa Sharon Harper writes, Shalom says we are all connected. Every relationship created by God is strung together in a web of intimate relationships. So God, when God finishes the creation project, he step back, steps back and he declares that what he has made is very good. Uh, he's not only speaking of the objects of creation themselves, but of the whole interconnected relationship of each part of his creation that it shares with one another. So think about it this way. In Greek thinking, which is much of our North American ideas and thought that where it finds its root, so goodness then could be located within the perfection of the object itself, aka this taco is good. However, the, the Hebrew conception of goodness is found not just in the in the thing itself, but in the location between the things. So it is the relationship between my memories of Mexico, the person who cooked my taco, the taco itself, the beauty of a warm evening and a bubbly Coke that make this taco good. It's that interconnected relationship of each one of those. Shalom is the fullness of peace and connection between all of these things that make for something to be very good. And so in Genesis 1-2, God creates a world that is intimately connected relationally. Each part has a role to play in relationship to the other. And God looks over all of this and he says, oh yeah, like that's good. Um, an example you can see is found in Ezekiel 34, 25-31. In it, in it, God begins to say this. I will make a covenant of peace for them and I will banish the wild animals from the land. Then they will live safely in the desert and sleep in the forest. I will give them and those around my hill a blessing by sending the rain in its season. The rain will be of blessing. The trees and the field will bear fruit and the earth will yield its harvest. They will be safe on their fertile land and they will know that I am their Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from those who enslave them. The nations will no longer prey on them. The wild animals will no longer devour them. They will live in safety with no one to trouble them. I will establish for them a place famous for what it grows. No longer will they experience famine in the land, nor will they bear the disgrace of the nations. They will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and they, the house of Israel, are my people. This is what the Lord God says. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are human and I am your God. And this is what the Lord God says. So do you see this intimate relationship uh, between how God, between with God is bound, right? It's, it's between the relationship with them and the land. When things are good, the rain will come, the fruit will grow, the wild animals won't be there. There is a healed relationship or boundaries between animals and humans. There's peace between on the national ethnic level as well. And so then Lisa Sharon Harper writes, Shalom is the stuff of the kingdom. It is what the kingdom of God looks like. You and I live in this web of relationship. And there is a relationship with God, a relationship with ourselves, and how we view our own bodies and our own minds. There's a relationship with 
with the people of other genders, there's relationship with our family members, there's relationship with other ethnicities, our nations, with our governing authorities, our relationship with creation itself. And each of these separate parts of our life are actually intimately connected. So recently, I've come to this realization that I'm getting old, right? When there's a sharp turn in the weather, I am keenly aware of what's going to happen because my right wrist becomes nearly unusable because of the pain, right? My physical body and well-being are connected to creation. And so I've been struck over and over again at this chant that we hear at many of these at the Black Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter rallies, like the the no justice, no peace. Uh, A biblical understanding of shalom could not agree more. When the web of our relationships is severed, there cannot be peace. Peace or shalom requires the wellness and peace for every aspect of life. If there is no justice in our relationships with each other, we cannot live in peace with one another. If there is no healing in our relationship with creation, we will not know peace. It is only our selfish pride that keeps us from recognizing that our lives are intimately connected to other people and God and the very earth we walk on. So here's a little video uh, just to tell a little bit of a story. The story of God begins like this. God creates a very good world and there is peace. Shalom between all parts of his creation. There's peace between God and humans. There's peace between humans. Peace between men and women. People are at peace with themselves and their internal world. There is peace between humans and earth and creation. There is shalom. Shalom is the grounding of the gospel, the soil from which the gospel grows. Shalom is the goodness of all our interconnected lives and relationship. Genesis 3 tells us that peace, that relationship, is broken. It all begins to fall apart. It all becomes separated. All these relationships are separated, and that is what we call sin. Sin is the separation of God's good peace between us and God, us and ourselves, us and other genders, us and all other humans, us and our family, us and our world. At the end of the video, it's just a whole bunch of scribbles and it's a big mess. And this is the reality of sin in the world is that all of our relationships are now broken. All of it gets messed. And and the gospel, the good news is, as we'll see in the next week, is just how God is able to begin to put this back together. The problem with what so much of what we call the gospel is that it's usually only about you and me and our personal sin. It's only about our separation between God and people. But the Hebrew idea of sin and the Hebrew understanding of shalom is that that the problem of sin is much bigger than just you and God. The problem of sin affects and wrecks all of our relationships. The sin is breaking, the sin, sin is the breaking of relationship on every level of our lives. And so the gospel, the good news of Jesus, must be big enough to heal all of these. The gospel, the, the good news of King Jesus, is that Jesus, in Jesus, all of these relationships can be healed and restored and brought back to what was intended in Genesis 1 and 2 when we see this picture of shalom and peace. And so Paul begins his letter and he writes this to the church in Ephesus, to the holy and faithful people in Christ Jesus in Saskatoon. Grace and peace, shalom to you from God our Father and our King Jesus Christ. And may we know that shalom in our lives this week.